0: enjoy
1: ladies and gentlemen the makers of fatima cigarettes and the entire cast and crew and technicians of dragnet respectfully dedicate tonight's program to the memory of barton yarborough who created and portrayed the role of sergeant ben romero
2: The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima cigarettes. Best of all, king-size cigarettes brings you dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. Two convicts escaped from a nearby state penitentiary in the early morning. According to reports, they're heading for your city. They're both armed. They're both dangerous. Your job, get them. Fatima, America's first largest-selling blended cigarette. Now king size. See the difference. Taste the difference. Smoke the difference. And in Fatima, the difference is quality. Yes, you get all the advantages of extra length. Plus Fatima quality which no other king-size cigarette has. Fatima quality that gives you extra mildness, a much different, much better flavor and aroma.
3: Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as a cigarette you're now smoking.
2: So compare Fatima yourself today. When you see the difference, taste the difference, smoke the difference, you'll switch to Fatima. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima in the bright, sunny yellow pack. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story
1: of your police force in action. It was Saturday, April 24th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. It was five minutes past 8 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Morning, Joe. Hi, Crowley. How's it working out? Any more word on the escape prisoner? Nothing this morning, no. Captain likes to see you, Joe. Okay. Ben, check in yet? Nope. Uh No? Getting a little late. Guess he was held up, huh? Captain wants to see you right away. Some bad news, Joe. Oh, what's the matter? Maybe it'd be better if he told you. Oh, all right. Oh, morning, Joe. Hi. Do you want to see me? Yeah, good morning. All right yeah Yeah? Got some bad news, Joe. Real bad. Well, what's the matter? I know how much it means. I wish I didn't have to be the one to tell you. Well, tell me what? Sorry, Joe. It's about Ben. Something's happened. Ben? Well, what do you mean? We were notified about it early this morning. I thought about calling you. Figured it'd be better if I told you in person. Well, what's the matter? Is Ben sick? He's dead, Joe. Ben's dead early this morning. What? Sorry. Heart attack. Happened a little after 6 o'clock this morning. No. Got out of bed, started dressing, go to work. Went downstairs, put a pot of coffee on make some toast. Wife heard him fall. She went downstairs and found him. Already dead. Went fast. Look, I don't get this. It couldn't be. Sorry, Joe. It means a lot to all of us. Yeah, well, I still don't get it. Ben didn't have any trouble with his heart. He never mentioned anything about it. Well, maybe that was the trouble with his heart, all right. When his wife found him, she called the doctor and the fire department rescue squad. They worked over him for an hour. No use. And his wife called me. Not to tear your heart out. I can't believe it. What'd she say? Well, she didn't break out. Too shocked to realize it, I guess. sounded apologetic. I'm sorry, Captain. This is Mrs. Romero. Ben died this morning. I thought you ought to know. Ben's dead. Oh, that's terrible. That's a lousy shame. Kept saying the same thing over again. I'm sorry. Ben's dead. I thought you ought to know. Ben's dead. Yeah. Joe Whitehead and I went out there right away. Tried to talk to her. Wasn't much use. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. You were with him a long time. Yeah. Eleven years. The day I came on the job, they assigned me as his partner. You know, this is a tough one. It's hard to believe. Tougher on his wife? If it's all right with you, I'd like to go see her. All right. I wish I could give you the day off, Joe. I know what it means to you. The escape convicts thing, I just can't spare you. Yeah, that's all right. I'd just soon work. I figure I ought to talk to Amy, though. Might help to take the edge off the form, maybe. Huh? Sure. Go ahead,
4: Joe. Yeah. I know what it is. I've been on the job nineteen years. Lost two partners, good cops.
1: One of them was killed in the line of duty. The other one worked at his job until he dropped. It's the same thing, Joe. Yeah. In my book, they both rate medals. I left the office and went down in the elevator alone I got in the car and I started over for Ben's place I thought about what I was going to say to his wife I thought about his little boy I thought about Ben Eleven years I'd been working as a cop And all of a sudden it wasn't the same anymore I thought about the first day I met Ben I was a rookie I remembered what he taught me about being a cop I thought about how much I owed him. I thought about the thousands of cops just like him all over the country. The ones that came before us. The ones that will take our place. I thought about their lives and their homes and their families. What they meant. What their jobs meant. I thought about them. Eleven years. Stakeouts. The early morning watch. Interrogations. Office duty. You could cover it in volumes or you could write it on the back of an envelope. He was a good cop and he was a good friend. There wasn't much else to say. It was a big loss. I stayed at Ben's house for about an hour talking to his wife. Joe Whitehead from the medical detail was there. All things considered, she seemed to be taking it fairly well. I told her I'd drop around later in the day and then I checked back in at the office for work temporarily sergeant ed jacobs was assigned to work with me the big problem at the moment was a pair of escaped convicts jacobs and i drove out to run down on a possible lead 11 a.m we got to the address listed the cathedral of saint augustine we checked in at the rectory and then we went around to the church priest around anywhere, Ed? Oh, mm. well, yeah, someone over by the side altar there. Looks like a padre. Yeah, come must Easter hymns. they pretty, nice, not Yeah, they sure are. It really takes me back. You'd never believe it, Joe. What's that? There used to be a boy tenor. Excuse me, please. Yes? Are you Father Newman?
4: Yes, that's right. Can I help you?
1: Police officers, Father. I see. This is my partner, Sergeant Jacobs. My name's Friday. Uh-huh. i you. Housekeeper over at the rectory told us we could find you here. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes if you got the time,
4: Father. Let's see. I have confessions starting at 3 o'clock. Leave me about 10 minutes. What was it about, Sergeant?
1: Well, we're inquiring about a Stanley Blair, Father. We understand that you knew him fairly well.
4: Oh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I read about him in the paper this morning. Trouble he's in. Is that what you wanted to talk about?
1: Yes, sir, that's right. We're making a check of all his known friends, his relatives.
4: Very unfortunate,
1: isn't it? And the newspapers have the story correct? Yes, sir, I'm afraid so. Hey, I wonder if we could step outside, Father. If we could talk out there without disturbing anyone in church.
4: Surely, Sergeant. This way, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Certainly a tragedy. I mean, happening at Easter time. I'll remember the boy in my mass tomorrow. Lord knows he can use some prayers. Yes, yeah, sir, I guess he can. Here we are. Bench there. He us well, you care to sit down? No, sir, that's all right. The newspapers weren't too specific. How did he manage to escape the way he did? I always thought state penitentiaries were well-guarded. Apparently, Blair was one of the trusted prisoners. It's a minimum security prison to begin with, Father. I see. I suppose Blair and the man he escaped with thought about it a good deal. According to the paper, it was well-planned. When did
1: they get away, last night? Oh, it was this morning. Prison officials figure about 2 a.m. They slugged a guard and went over the wall. Somehow
2: the
4: two of them got hold of a gun. Held up a motorist on the highway and stole his car. That's last report we had.
1: Terrible. Do the police consider them dangerous? Well, they're armed, Father. Both of them were doing time for robbery. They've both used guns before. How about possible contacts you might have out of town, Father? Can you help us there at all? I'm afraid not, Sergeant. I think Stan
4: knew some people in San Francisco... I don't know their names or addresses, though. I haven't any idea.
1: Uh And there's no special person or place that you know of that he'd be likely to go if he heads back for Los Angeles? No, none I can think of. You imagine he'd be
4: likely to come back here?
2: We're not sure.
4: Last report we had seemed to indicate Blair and his partner were heading this
1: way. Prison's only about 40 miles away. Could be there in the city now.
4: I, I don't understand. I mean, with all the police looking for them, why would they come back here?
1: They probably figure they can find cover a lot easier than they could in some of the small towns. Uh, Sergeant. Yeah, Father.
4: Uh, do you think they'll have trouble taking Stan? I mean,
1: can they take him alive? Well, we'll try our best to make it that way. It's like I told you, Father. He's got a gun. If he's cornered, there's a good chance he might try to shoot his way out. It
4: gets discouraging sometimes. I try to help them. I pray for them. Young thieves. I only hope they're all as lucky as, as he was. How's that, sir? The grotto back there in the garden. Figure of a man in it. Oh, yeah. The statue of Bismarck. One of the luckiest men who ever lived. I like to tell fellas like Stan about him. I don't think I understand, Father. You know the story of the crucifixion? The two men who were crucified with Christ. They were both thieves. Mm -hmm. A few minutes before he died, one of the thieves turned to Christ on the cross. Confessed his crimes. Asked our Lord to remember him. Christ told him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. The man's name was Dismar. We like to call him the good thief.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh
4: Uh-huh. I told Stan about it right here in this courtyard. He should have remembered it. Yeah, I guess so. I told him you never give up hope. You can make the grade in the last five minutes of your life. Stan ought to know better. You ought to remember. Sir? The good thief. He made it with a prayer, not with a gun in his
1: hand. Before we left Father Newman, we gave him our card, and he gave us a list of eight names and addresses, people in the neighborhood who'd known the escaped convict, Stanley Blair, before he was sentenced to the state penitentiary to serve time on his robbery conviction. 3.15 p.m., we met with Sergeants Max Herman and J.E. Crowley from robbery detail. We divided the list of names in half, and we began checking them out. Ed and I didn't have much luck on our end. Most of the people we talked to told us that they knew Stanley Blair, but none of them had seen, heard from him, or knew anything about his activities or his family since Blair had gone to prison two and a half years before. Stakeouts were set up at two of the hottest places. 5.20 p.m., Ed and I went back to the office. Crowley was waiting for us. No, no luck on R.N.D. the same thing. The place they heard of him was when he was set up. Just that finishes it. Any late reports at all? Yeah, was teletype from the sheriff's office It was waiting here when Max and I got back. Guess our hunch was right. Looks like they headed this way. Well, how do you mean? somebody spot them? Just this side of West Covina. Held up a grocery store, slugged the owner. Got $23.40. Not gonna take him far. Descriptions match out? Yeah, perfectly. Suspects believed to be two prisoners who escaped this day from the California institution for Menchino: Stanley R. Blair, Wesley A. Russell. There's something else. Yeah? The grocery store they knocked over, they picked up another gun, the owner's... Description of serial numbers on it here. Got mm-hmm. 20 rounds of ammunition, too. Supplementary APB's already out on it. How about a car? They switch over? They yeah, have, we don't know about it. Apparently, they're still using the Buick coupe. They took them at Motors this morning. No reports on it, though. Oh, that's a queer one. You'd think somebody'd spot it. They got the Highway Patrol working this? Highway Patrol, Sheriff's Office, our department, everybody you can name. By the way, you had R and I pull their mugshots, didn't you? Yeah, both of them, Blair and Russell. They're running off the duplicates now. 500 of them should be about ready. Pretty good shots? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Stand-up mugs. Fairly recent. they made the last time we had the two of them through here. How about that other list of their friends and relatives we pulled from their packages? Young and McCaleb were checking them out, weren't they? Probably still are. No word from them yet. How do you size the two of them, Joe? Blair and Russell. I don't know. It's a tough combination. Russell's older. He's got the experience. Blair's younger. He's got the nerve. Anyway, you figure It's not going to be easy. Guns and the ammunition they grabbed, they ain't going to help much either. I guess the roadblocks are up, huh? Highway patrol take care of that. Yeah, all set working now. All our special details have been alerted. Airports, bus depots,
4: train terminals, just about everything covered. Robbery Crowley.
1: Yeah, my how is Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You'll stay on it, huh? Right. See you later. But Caleb, he and Young are still checking on friends of Russell, some of the places he hung out. Any luck? Nothing yet. Either one of you see the captain on the way in? No, I said he'd be over at the sheriff's office, didn't he? Gotcha. I'll get it. Yeah. What is it? Clothing store out of North Fig, two eleven, and slugging is sure moving fast. Sam, you got it. Blair and Russell. Five fifty-five p.m. A supplementary broadcast and an all-points bulletin were gotten out immediately on the two escaped convicts. While Crowley and Herman stood by at the office, Ed Jacobs and I picked up duplicate mug shots of the suspects and drove out to the scene of the robbery, a men's clothing store near the intersection of North Figueroa and Merced. We showed a group of mug shots to the victim and two witnesses... and they definitely identified Blair and Russell as the hold-up men. The robbery had netted them less than $20. We relayed all the information we got back to communications immediately... and another supplementary broadcast was gotten out on the two fugitives. An hour later, at 7.05 p.m., Blair and Russell hit again. This time at a sporting goods store in the San Fernando Valley. It netted them $94, a 30 30 hunting rifle... And 200 rounds of ammunition. According to the broadcast, they were last seen heading north through the valley in the Buick Coupe, the original escape car. 7.38 p.m., Ed Jacobs and I got a call to return to our station. We went back to the city hall. Got a hunch, Joe. It's going to be a long night. Yeah, it's a rough one. Guns and ammunition. If they want to make a stand, they're all ready for it. Can't see how they can go too far in that hot car. Or roadblock set up. Somebody's bound to stop them. Well, they're doing all right so far. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. Friday, Jacobs. Jack, Captain, you want us in here? Not for long. Keep your coats on. The rest of the men have already left. What's the latest? This. Communication from the Ventura Sheriff's Office. Blair and Russell were spotted just across the county line. Sheriff figures they got them boxed in. How close? A lot of territory. 20 square mile circle. They say they got Blair and Russell tied down inside and they're on foot. We're sending up men to help out. You're two of them. 20 square miles going to take a lot of men. And if we need more, we'll get them. It's no easy touch. They're desperate. You heard the latest? Oh, no, what's that? Last place they hit in the valley, they served notice they're not going to be taken alive, either one of them. Well, that's good sales talk. What do they got to back it up? Three guns and a load of ammunition. If we want to take them alive, they swear it'll cost us ten men. They'll kill five cops apiece. You any ideas? Yeah. Let's make liars out of them.
2: You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic stories of your police force in action. Fatima, America's first, largest-selling blended cigarette. Now king-size. See the difference. Taste the difference. Smoke the difference. And in Fatima, the difference is quality. Yes, you get all the advantages of extra length, plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. You see, Fatima contains the finest domestic and Turkish tobaccos, Superbly blended, and Fatima is extra mild, with a much different, much better flavor and aroma.
3: Fatima, definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking.
2: No wonder more smokers now insist on king-size Fatima than ever before. Friends, try Fatima. Buy several packs. Compare them over the last weekend of the old year. We're convinced you'll start the new year with Fatima. Fatima. Yes, when you see the difference, taste the difference, smoke the difference, you'll switch to Fatima. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Buy Fatima. Best of all, king-size cigarettes.
1: Saturday, April 24th, 9 p.m. Along with Captain Didion and a dozen other men from Robbery Detail, Ed Jacobs and I left the office and headed north up through the San Fernando Valley. The area where the two escaped convicts were reportedly surrounded was just on the outskirts of Ventura County line. On the way out, we stopped for a minute and I phoned Ben's house. His wife had been given a sedative and she was resting. Her folks were with her. 10.15 p.m. We arrived at the meeting point on the edge of the blockaded area from which the search was being directed. Communication facilities had been set up along with a field kitchen to feed the men taking part in the hunt. There were over 500 of them. From our office, the L.A. Sheriff's Department, the State Highway Patrol, the Ventura Sheriff's Department, and a couple of dozen private citizens who lived in the area. Together with Max Herman and Crowley, Ed Jacobs and I took up our position in the line of men that stretched north and east, then north again, circling the entire area, 20 square miles of it. The line drew slowly inward. Twelve midnight, one a.m. No sign of the suspects. We stayed at it.
2: You get no idea the size of these hayfields till you start hiking them.
1: Yeah. Throw the light over there, will you, Ed? Irrigation ditch there. Right there. That it? Yeah. That's okay. It's a long hike. I'd sure like to see some of that hot coffee pretty soon. Yeah, same here.
2: Nice setup they got, huh? That field kitchen? Yeah. Hey, Joe!
5: Joe Friday!
1: Yeah, Crawley. You got the riot gun, haven't
5: you?
1: Yeah, we got it.
5: You want to send up another flare
1: Towards a clump of trees. Over this way. Light it up good, huh? Okay,
2: Crawley. About a 45-degree angle, Joe. That
1: ought to do it, huh? Yeah, okay. That ought to do it. Really lights it up, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, you got any extra magnesium shells there, Ed?
6: Yeah. I me get
1: one right here. Here you are. Thanks. There we go. Friday, that you? Yeah, Captain, over here. No use beating the brush here anymore. We're moving up three miles north. How come? Blair and Russell, they hit again, kidnapped an old couple from a farmhouse. They're still on foot? Yeah, as far as we know, they're hemmed in a two-square-mile area. They may try to break out, use the old couple for a shield. Well, where's that leave us? I don't know. You think they'd harm the old couple? They kidnapped them. They're desperate. You figure it. 1.45 a.m., all of the men in the search party were shifted north to the area where the two escaped convicts and their kidnapped victims were last seen. Two officers were sent to each farmhouse in the immediate neighborhood to make sure that the suspects and their victims were not hid out or that they were being held as hostages. The officers were ordered to remain at the homes in the event that Blair and Russell might try to find cover. The searching party moved in slowly over the affected area. We knew for certain the suspects were still somewhere inside. 2.15 2.15 a.m. Still no sign of him. The lines drew in closer. 2.30 a.m. Can't be much longer, that's sure. Yeah, well, I can't understand it. We should have jumped him by now. It's only a few
2: hundred feet to go. There's the other line closing in toward us. wonder if they could have slipped through.
1: Beats me, Ed. Who's that coming? Can you see? Yeah, it looks like Crowley. Yeah, huh? that's him. Joe, Ed? Yeah. Hiya. Over here. You got any word? They found the old couple tied up in an irrigation ditch half a mile south of here. They all right? Yeah, they're okay. Old lady's forehead, bad head wound. She was slugged. She and her husband have been taken to the hospital. How about Blair and Russell? No word. Just heard the captain asked for the car with a loudspeaker. He's over there now with Sheriff Durley. Well, couldn't have gotten through the lines. They gotta be around here somewhere.
2: Doesn't figure we combed every foot of this neighborhood.
4: Attention, all officers. Attention, all officers. This is Captain Didion. Return to your
1: posts immediately. The search has been canceled. The search has been canceled. How about that? I don't know. Come on, let's find out. There he is, just getting out of the car. Captain? Yeah? What's the matter? Are we giving it up? No, maybe we've been going at it backwards. We've been trying all night to jump them. Got a new idea. Yeah? Maybe we can make them jump us. 2.48 a.m. Captain Didion and Sheriff Durley ordered the men to return to the sheriff's office. With the exception of two deputy sheriffs, Captain Didion, Sheriff Durley, and Ed Jacobs and myself, the rest of the searching party vacated the area. The plan was to give the general impression that the search had been called off in the hope that it might bring the suspects out in the open. Because of the darkness and the early morning fog settling over the terrain, we knew that the odds were all against us. Captain Didion and Sheriff Durley decided instead to try and lure Blair and Russell from wherever they were hiding out. Each of the small farmhouses in the immediate neighborhood, eight of them in all, were already under surveillance. Each of the occupants were requested to park their cars in a conspicuous place outside their homes with the distributor heads removed. They were asked to turn all the lights off in their houses. In the event they heard anyone trying to start their cars, they were to remain indoors. Ed Jacobs and I were assigned to cover two of the houses. The other men covered the rest of them. The two houses that Ed and I were assigned to cover were separated by about 500 yards. We staked out in between the two of them. We waited. 4 a.m., 4.30. Sure cold, huh? Yeah.
2: Fog goes right through you. You're gonna be getting light pretty soon. My joy just remembered. Yeah, what's that? Easter morning.
1: wonder how long this is going to go. I promised to hide Easter eggs for the kids today. Now, well, if it's going to break, it has to break soon. It'll be daylight in a half hour or so, and they won't have a chance then. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Farmhouse down on the left? Yeah, sounds like it. Come on. Can you see the car? Wait a minute. Yeah, you cover the passenger side. I'll come up on the driver's right. side and watch it. Joe, hustle. They're getting out of the car. All right, hold it up. Police officers. Watch it, Joe. Blair, Russell, you haven't got a chance. Throw down the gun. All right, Ed, let's give it back.
5: All right, don't shoot, don't shoot.
1: Throw out the guns. Come toward us with your hands open.
5: Don't shoot, West. Do what they say. Come on out. Don't shoot, West.
1: All right, come on. Keep coming.
2: That's far enough.
1: All right, cover him, Ed. I'll shake him down. Yeah. No break here. Look out, Joe! All right. You want to throw the cuffs on him? Yeah, right. I'll go get the car. You want to keep him covered, Ben? Excuse me, Ed. Ed, I mean. Sorry. Right. Too bad he wasn't here tonight. How can you tell for sure?
2: story you have just heard was true the names were changed to protect the innocent on July 16th trial was held in Superior Court Department 88 city and county of Los Angeles state of California in
1: a moment the results of that trial
2: and now here is our star Jack Webb
1: thank you George Fenneman friends we all hope that you enjoyed listening to dragnet in 1951 we all like to think that you'll be with us during the new year on our part we hope to do two things to bring you the kind of entertainment you want and to introduce you to Fatima. Fatima, America's first largest selling blended cigarette, now king size. And believe me, it's the best of all king size cigarettes. So next time, buy a pack of Fatimas. Compare them yourself. When you see the difference, taste the difference, and then smoke that difference, I'm convinced that you'll switch to Fatima. Because in Fatima, The difference is quality.
2: Stanley Blair and Wesley Russell were tried and convicted on three counts of first-degree robbery and one count of kidnapping. They received sentences as prescribed by law. First-degree robbery is punishable by imprisonment from five years to life. Kidnapping is punishable by imprisonment for not less than one, nor more than 20 years. One count of escape is still pending. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Heard tonight were Barney Phillips and Vic Perrin. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Fatima Cigarettes. Best of all, King Size Cigarettes has brought you Dragnet.
0: Hi, everyone. just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy
4: fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah,
7: you get it. Every time.
5: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes. Best of all king-size cigarettes brings you Dragnet on both radio and television. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide, special detail. There are rumors of an impending war between juvenile gangs in your city. Reportedly, members of both gangs are well supplied with homemade weapons. You don't know when the fighting will break out. You don't know where. Your job, stop it. Fatima, America's first largest-selling blended cigarette. Now king size. See the difference. Taste the difference. Smoke the difference. And in Fatima, the difference is quality. See the difference. Fatimas are 21% longer. Taste the difference. Enjoy Fatima's extra mildness. Much different, much better flavor and aroma. Smoke the difference. Get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality.
3: Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking.
2: So why wait? Switch to Fatima today. Each king-size Fatima gives you a long, extra mild and soothing smoke with the added protection of Fatima quality. By Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
1: It was Tuesday, October 14th. It was cloudy in Los Angeles. We were working a special detail out of homicide division. My partner's Ed Jacobs. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. It was 1.18 p.m. when I got to 2015 East 1st Street, the second floor. Hollenbeck Juvenile Division. Joe? Hi. What'd you find out? Nothing yet. Gardner had to go next door. He'll be back in a minute. Gives rundown on a thing.
3: Friday? Ed?
1: Hi, Gardner. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. How are things going downtown? Oh, not bad. A little slow. Here, you got problems? Lots of them. Captain briefing on any of it? No, he told us to check with you. You'd fill us in. Said maybe you could use some help. All we can get. We're sitting on top of a bomb out here. We don't know when it's going to go off. What's the pitch, Gardner? Juvenile gangs. Five of them this time. The way we get it, they're ready for trouble, all of them. High school kids? Most of them. Some of them are in junior high. Well, how come five gangs? What are they planning, a free-for-all? It's a long story. They've been building up to this thing for months, all these side kids. We hear it's supposed to be an open war. Mm-hmm. Here's a list of the different gangs involved. Thanks. You can see there, same crowds we've been riding her on for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. We've got the Purple Heart Gang, the Blue Devils, the Apaches, Happy Valley, Rose Hill. Here's a breakdown on each one of them. Hard to get exact figures, but we think it's fairly accurate. Mm-hmm. Purple Heart Gang, 26 members. Leader Harold Fry, age 17. Blue Devils, 18 members. Leaders Jack Holland, age 17, and Bertram Willis, 16. The Apaches, 22 members. Leader Robert Lawson, 17. They're supposed to be the strongest bunch. Happy Valley Gang, 20 members. Leaders Roy Martin, 16, and Joseph Gomez, 16. Rose Hill Gang, 16 members. Leader Thomas Resnick, 18. Yeah. Well, what's behind it, Gardner? I mean the gang war that they're supposed to be planning. A lot of factors enter into it, I guess. It's my own idea. The Apache gang's doing most of the promoting. What's the object, anyway? anyway? The usual big-shot idea some high school kids get. The Apaches figure they're going to run the whole east side. They've already scared the Happy Valley gang and the Blue Devils into joining up with them. Well, how'd they manage that? I'd like to find out myself. Well, how about the other two crowds there? Rose Hill and the Purple Heart Bunch? The
3: story I get is they won't come in with the Apaches. That's supposed to be the reason for the war. Either they join up with the Apaches or they
1: fight them. That's a warning they got. Pretty hmm. we'll playing it big time, huh? All the way. 16, 17-year-old. They got gang lieutenants. They got their own cars, their own hideout. Some of them even had their girlfriends running with them. Same age. None of them over 17. Where'd you get your
3: information, Bill? Half a dozen, kids. Most of them from the Blue Devils and the Happy Valley Gang. They were mixed up in a couple of after-school fights in Hollenbeck Park. The stories they gave us are enough to curl your hair. Yeah, how do you mean? About the big war they're gonna have. One of the girls we picked up gave us most
1: of it. Fifteen-year-old. Says her boyfriend's one of the big shots for the Blue Devil. Yeah, what she had to say? Talked about it like it was some kind of a game they were playing. Yeah. Said the Rose Hill and the Purple Heart gangs were teaming up so they could stand up against the other three. They've been getting ready for the war for six weeks. They're really organized. I don't get it. Who's doing the organizing? Who's promoting it? I got an idea about that. get to it in a minute.
3: Take a look at these over here.
1: Yeah samples of the different weapons the gangs are getting together for the big fight. Crazy kids. Brass knuckles. Homemade saps. All kinds. What's this here, Gardner? Have a look. Homemade stiletto. Good six-inch blade. Kids are supposed to have dozens of them. Another one here. Look at this. Ice pick. Anything you can think of, you name it, we got it. It's going to be wholesale murder if we can't find a way to stop it you been able to figure what the real trouble is, Bill. I got an idea, yeah. You asked about the gang's teaming up a minute ago. Yeah. We figure we got a young Hitler on our hands. A kid by the name of Robert Lawson. He's supposed to be the ringleader of the Apache gang. Moved in about a year ago from the Middle West. How much you know about him? Wrote a letter to the city he originally came from. Nothing but trouble back there. Bad juvenile record. We talked to the boy a couple of times. His parents, too. Didn't do much good. Hmm. Never had enough to file a petition on him and bring him to the attention of the juvenile court. We know he's responsible for a lot of the trouble we got, but he always has some other kid do it for him. Never does it himself. You think he's responsible for working up the gang, or right? ideas? that? We figure he's our biggest problem. We've tried everything to reach the Lawson kid and settle him down, check for the teachers at his school, the principal, vice principal. They can't handle him. They figure on expelling him
3: if he doesn't straighten
1: out. How about the other youngsters in these gangs? I mean, besides this Lawson boy here.
3: We've got notifications out
1: for them and their parents. They're supposed to be in here tomorrow night at 7.30. Maybe we can break Lawson's hold on these kids. Sure got me. What's the matter with this Lawson boy's parents? Don't they know what's going on? Can't they control him? Well, we tried to talk to the parents. They think we're wrong. They're proud of the kid. He's got a high IQ. They think he's a natural-born leader. Oh, sure. Yeah. The mother says people just don't understand the boy. Or well, maybe you should have told them. Huh? Sam Quentin's full of people we don't understand. <laughs> The following night, Wednesday, October 15th, the members and ringleaders of the various juvenile gangs, along with their parents, showed up at Hollenbeck Juvenile Division as requested. In questioning each of the youngsters, we definitely confirmed the reports we had of the impending gang war. The interviews also revealed that if and when the fighting did start, it would be more serious than we at first figured. For one thing, there were more youngsters involved than we thought the gangs had been recruiting new members by the dozen in preparation for the street fights. For another thing, we found out the teenagers weren't carrying around eight-inch knives and brass knuckles just for show. If fighting started, they were ready and willing to use them. We weren't sure how much we could count on it, but after interviewing the parents and advising them how serious the situation was, they promised their full cooperation. Most of them agreed they'd maintain strict check on their youngsters and keep them out of all neighborhood gang activities. Some of the parents took a resentful attitude. They insisted the gangs were harmless. They accused us of picking on the youngsters. A few of the parents didn't even show up at the meeting. Among these were the parents of 17-year-old Robert Lawson, the boy who seemed to be promoting most of the trouble. The following morning, my partner Ed Jacobs and I drove out to his home and we talked with his mother. She was friendly but not too cooperative.
7: I don't know why you say that, Sergeant. I appreciate you worrying about my boy, but I'm sure it's not as bad as you think.
1: I don't mean to contradict you, Mrs. Lawson, but I'm afraid it is a lot worse than you think.
7: It's what the other officers said, too, but you really don't have any proof, do you? I mean, a few idle rumors. You certainly can't accuse Robert on that basis.
1: We're not accusing Robert of anything, ma'am. That's not the point. What we're trying to do is to head off the trouble before it starts. You were living in the Middle West before you came to Los Angeles. that right, ma'am?
7: Yes, that's right, Nebraska.
1: Well, wasn't your boy in some kind of trouble back there?
7: Yes, but it didn't amount to anything. Could have been avoided so easily. They just didn't understand Robert. That was the whole trouble.
1: Is he an only child, ma'am? Yes,
7: yeah, just Robert. But he's not spoiled. I know it's a great temptation with an only child, but we didn't spoil him. Robert just isn't like that. Uh
1: huh. You allow him quite a bit of freedom, do you, ma'am? I mean, does he go out at night very often?
7: Well, he is seventeen years old, going on eighteen. Yes, my husband and I allow him to go out as often as he likes, as long as he keeps up with his studies. Robert's always done very well. Always tops in his class.
1: Do you know where he spends his time when he goes out at night?
7: He's usually down at the gym or at the library.
1: You know that for a fact, do you?
7: I trust Robert, if that's what you mean. He tells me that's where he's going. I believe him. The mother can't believe her own son. Who can she believe?
2: How about the company your boy
1: keeps? You know any of his friends, Mrs. Lawson?
7: few, yes. There's the Miller boy and Jack Holland. They seem to be fine boys.
1: Miller and Holland?
7: Yes. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with them.
1: Well, there is, ma'am.
7: What?
1: Both of them have juvenile records. Both of them belong to your son's gang.
7: Really, Sergeant, how can you say that? It isn't fair. Wouldn't it be better to try and understand these boys instead of picking on them, persecuting them? I
1: don't know how we're going to make you understand, Mrs. Lawson. We're not picking on them. We're not persecuting them. We know there's a gang problem. We know your boy's one of those at the bottom of it. If something isn't done, there's going to be trouble. We're going to stop it before it begins. We're going to have to have your help.
7: I'm perfectly willing to cooperate, you know that. that must be Robert now, excuse me. Robert? Bob, is that you? Yeah. Would you come in here a minute, Bob? We're in the living room.
3: Yeah? What do you
7: want? These are police officers, Bobby. This is Sergeant Friday. Sergeant Jacobs, is that
3: right? Yes, ma'am. How are you? How do How you do? Hi. How about something to eat? Haven't you got anything ready?
7: I wasn't expecting you, Bob. won't take me a minute, though. You sit down there, I'll go out and get a snack together for you. Can I fix you a sandwich, officer? A cup of coffee? No, thank
1: eggs? you. No,
3: thanks very much. Won't
7: be a minute, Bob. We were just talking about
3: you when you came in. What's it about, Sergeant? You want to see me or do you just want to talk to my mother? As long as you're here, we'd like to talk to both of you, Bob. I gotta take off pretty fast. Just came home to get something to eat. What's it about?
1: It's about Geronimo. That's the gang's code word for the war you're setting up, isn't
3: it? I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Your gang, Bob, the Apaches. We talked to half a dozen of them last night down at the juvenile division. Is that right? Now, look, son, we've got the names of everybody in your gang. We know the whole setup. You go ahead with your idea and you're going to buy a lot of trouble.
3: A couple of cops were here last week. I said the same thing. I don't know any more about it now than I did then. Honest. What's the pitch, anyway?
1: You know what the pitch is, youngster.
3: I don't. Honest. You're trying to say I'm in a gang. Is that it?
1: You're in it up to your neck, son. I why don't you come off it? We've got you pegged and everybody that runs with you. That includes the girlfriends you got in the gang. You're not fooling anybody.
3: You must be a little crazy. I'm not in a gang. I, I never even heard of one around
1: here. Now, well, you listen to me, boy. You can take this as a warning or a piece of advice either way. You and your friends keep on playing punk gangsters, and we're going to lean on you. You understand? What is this? Trying to scare me? If it'll make you change your mind, yeah. If this street war comes off, there's going to be big trouble. What do you think's going to happen when 200 kids tangle in a fight with knives and brass knuckles? Now,
3: use your head.
7: Here we are, Bob. to nice melt my nice bowl of hot soup. Bacon and tomato sandwiches.
3: <laughs> you, you always make the soup too hot.
7: Oh, I didn't mean to. Let it cool off for a minute, then. Bob has to eat and hurry along, officers. Is there anything else you wanted to talk to him about?
1: No, I think you've heard everything we have to say. I wish you'd think it over, Mrs. Lawson. You too, Bob.
3: Nothing to think over. They're trying to say I'm in a gang. They think I'm the leader.
7: Well, you told them, didn't you, son?
3: Sure. They don't believe me.
7: I wish I could make you understand, Sergeant. He's not a gang leader. Robert's telling the truth. I'm
1: afraid he isn't, ma'am.
7: Well, he is. I know he is. I mean, after all, he's my son. I'm in a position to know him better than you do.
1: Yes, ma'am.
7: If he was lying, I'd know it. I wish I could make you understand. Mother's the only one who really knows her boy. I know Robert's telling the truth. Aren't you, Robert? Robert? Uh Uh-huh? That's so, isn't it? You're telling the truth, aren't you?
3: Sure. How about some more soup?
1: Before we left the house, we tried again to talk to Robert Lawson and his mother, but it was no use. She believed every word he said, and he apparently refused to believe the possible consequences of the war he was planning for his gang of juveniles. We drove downtown and had an interview with the boy's father at his work. He was even less cooperative. He took on a belligerent attitude, accused us of persecuting his son, and ordered us out of the office. Along with Sergeant Bill Gardner and Frank Kerber, we spent the rest of the afternoon and most of the following day checking with parents of youngsters who had been recently recruited into one of the various East Side gangs. Most of them were cooperative. Late that afternoon, Bill Gardner, Ed, and myself met with Captain Stein back at Hollenbeck Juvenile. Strict curfew all over the area. We can start tonight. What do you figure, just on the weekends? Every night, Sunday to Sunday. I'll get some more men in to help out. Every youngster out in the street after 10 o'clock gets stopped. Mm-hmm. Every one of them caught with knives, saps, brass knuckles, or anything like them, they're going to be pulled in and filed on. No exceptions. Be a lot safer in custody than mixing in the gang fight. Yeah, it ought to help. Might teach some of the parents a lesson anyway. Huh? Yeah.
4: Excuse me. Joe, you the Vision
1: Stein? Where was that? When? Ah, uh, yeah, right away. Let's hustle at Evergreen Avenue out near the cemetery. Yeah, what is it? A curfew was a good idea. We got it too late. Huh? Gang war. It's already started. Before we left the office, we had communications notify all J cars on the special detail to proceed at once to the scene of the Major 415 call. Ten cars were ordered to cruise the area surrounding the actual scene of the fight and to pick up any and all members of the juvenile gangs who showed any evidence of having been in the fight or had in their possession any deadly weapon. Captain Stein, Bill Gardner, Ed, and myself left the office on a code three and drove out to the scene of the gang fight. When we got there, all the J cars and three radio crews had the area blocked off. An ambulance crew was treating more than a dozen youngsters who had been injured during the fight. One of the youngsters had a lacerated eye. He'd been blinded. Most of the other victims would carry scars for the rest of their lives. The juveniles who'd taken part in the battle and who'd been lucky enough to escape without serious injury were being loaded into the J cars and the radio cars. They were to be removed to juvenile headquarters at 1335 Georgia Street for further investigation. Together with Bill Gardner and Frank Kerber, Ed and I began covering the area, collecting dozens of homemade weapons used in the gang fight. They'd be turned over to Pete Brown, Hollenbeck Juvenile, to be booked as evidence. Joe? Yeah, Ed. Come here a minute. Over here. Yeah? Have a look. A piece of chain, bloodstreams on it lousy, how can it get? Bobby! Help me, Bobby!
5: Come on. All right.
1: Across the street there, the car on the driveway? Oh, yeah.
6: Help him, he's hurt. Somebody help him, Bobby. What's the trouble? Bobby, he was in the fight with one of the gang. They stabbed him. He's in the car. Come on.
1: What is it, Joe? Take a look. Lawson boy, huh? Yeah, knife in his chest. Want me to get the doctor? Yeah, call the coroner too.
2: You are listening to Dragnet Authentic Stories of Your Police Force in Action. Fatima, America's first, largest selling blended cigarette. Now king size. See the difference, taste the difference smoke the difference. And in Fatima, the difference is quality. Yes, you get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. That's why week in, week out, year after year, more smokers are switching to Fatima. 1950, Fatima sales higher than ever before in Fatima history. 1951, another record year. Fatima sales up and up. Why, in one month alone, Fatima sales up 110% coast to coast. Friends, in the first months of 1952, to show our confidence in Fatima, we are making a special money-back guarantee to every king-size cigarette smoker. Buy a pack of Fatimas. Enjoy Fatima quality, extra mildness, and superbly blended tobaccos. If you're not convinced Fatima is better than the king-size cigarette you are now smoking... Just return the pack and the unsmoked Fatimas before April 1st, and we'll give you your money back plus postage. Fatima, Box 37, New York 1. Remember, each king size Fatima gives you a long, extra mild, and soothing smoke with the added protection of Fatima quality. Buy Fatima. Best of all, king size cigarettes. <laughs>
1: Thursday, October 16th, 5.35 p.m. After the discovery of Robert Lawson's body in the car parked in the driveway adjoining the cemetery grounds, Ed brought the doctor over from the ambulance. The 17-year-old Lawson boy was pronounced dead. The doctor made out the prescribed form and marked it BOA. While we waited for the crime lab crew and the coroner to get there, Ed and I questioned the girl who'd led us to the body. She identified herself as Ann Porter, age 16. She told us she was Bob Lawson's girlfriend. She readily admitted accompanying him to the scene of the gang fight that afternoon.
6: I knew what it was going to be like. I knew right then. I came closer. Bob told the kids to get ready. There were a little ways from us when they stopped. The other gang, the Purple Hearts.
1: Yeah, go ahead.
6: Please. There's a kid by the name of Jumpy. He's the leader. He stepped out in front of them and called to Bob called him a bad name, said bad things. I
1: suppose you called Jumpy, you know his real name, man
6: No, Jumpy's only his nickname. I know him when I see him, though I can point him out.
1: Well, what happened after he called, Bob? I don't know. What?
6: I don't know, I'm not sure. Everything seemed to happen at once. Bob swore at me, pushed me back, told me to get out of the way. Then he walked up to this kid, Jumpy, right in front of their whole gang. I screamed at Bob. I screamed at him not to.
1: Why'd you scream? what did you do?
6: He had a chain under his coat. It was kind of a sort of short whip-like. Bob had it doubled up. Yeah. When he went up to Jumpy, Bob had a cigarette in his mouth. He told Jumpy to light it for him. It's supposed to mean he's chicken if he does it. Jumpy laughed at him. Bob took out the chain and hit him across the face with it. Hit him with all his might. Mm-hmm. It knocked Jumpy down. He was laying on the sidewalk. His face was cut bad. Bob had the chain kept hitting him with it. And somebody gave a yell and both the gangs started fighting.
1: Were you close to Bob Lawson most of the time?
6: No, not first. There was a lot of yelling and kicking and fighting going on. I ran around and... Was looking for him, finally saw Bob. I'm not sure it happened so fast.
1: What happened then?
6: I'm not sure. I thought I saw Jumpy pull a knife on Bob. Long and thin, maybe an ice pick. Yeah. Bobby was still hitting with a chain. And it, it looked like Jumpy hit Bob in the chest with something right over the heart. Bobby stopped. Jumpy did it again. Bobby got white. He looked sick. He turned around and to run.
1: Well, what happened then?
6: Bobby kept running. I knew he was hurt. I went after him. I saw him fall, but he got up. He kept running. Then one of the other gang grabbed me. They hit me.
1: It's all right. We understand.
6: I didn't find Bob until a fight was over. I heard the cops' cars coming, sirens coming around from everywhere. I felt sick. I finally found Bob, though he was laying in the back seat of the car, just laying there.
1: And that's when you called out?
6: Yes. I guess I knew it. As soon as I looked at him dead white as a sheet at any Not when you find somebody dead, not somebody you love.
1: All right, youngster. It'll be all right. It'll be all
6: right. You're lying. You know that. It won't be all right.
1: Take it easy, Ann.
6: I love Bob. Didn't you know that? When he graduated, the first thing we were going to get married, as soon as he got out of school, we'd be married. We'd be married. Ann?
1: Ann? Yeah. How old are you?
6: I'm 16.
1: Why? Nothing. It happens to practically everybody.
6: What?
1: People seem to make a lot of mistakes when they're 16. 6.30 p.m. The crime lab crew arrived, took pictures of the entire scene, along with all physical evidence, and dusted the murder weapon an 8-inch knife for fingerprints. The coroner arrived, and after we'd completed our investigation, he removed the body to the county morgue. Along with a policewoman, we took Robert Lawson's girlfriend, 16-year-old Ann Porter, down to Georgia Street Juvenile Division to the assembly room. There, a special show-up was held of all the boys involved in the afternoon's fight. The Porter girl identified a 17-year-old by the name of Warren Stone, nicknamed Jumpy, as the boy who'd stabbed Robert Lawson to death. At least a dozen other subjects in the case identified the boy by his nickname, Jumpy. Three members of either gang involved in the fight declared in sworn statements that Warren Stone was the boy who'd attacked the Lawson boy with a homemade knife. Statements were taken from all concerned, and the ringleaders of the gangs were detained. The other subjects were released to their parents' custody after being notified that they would be filed on and a hearing held in juvenile court. Ann Porter was returned home by a policewoman. 7 7.55 p.m., Ed Jacobs and I took the subject, Warren Stone, to the captain's office where we tried to question him about the murder. He refused to say anything.
3: I told you the truth. I told you the whole story. I don't have to tell you again. We're pretty sure you
1: didn't tell us the truth, Warren. We know you tangled with Bob Lawson in that fight this afternoon. No, I didn't. We've got statements from a dozen kids, son. They say Lawson had a piece of chain. He kept slugging you with it. They say you pulled a knife and stabbed him. How do they know? A lot of kids had knives. Anybody could have stabbed him. Why are you picking on me? It was your knife. Your knife that killed him. Your initials on it. I lost the knife in the fight. Somebody could have picked it up used it. No, that won't do, youngster. The handle of the knife's been processed. Your fingerprints are all over it. How about it, son? Warren? Come on, now. What do you got to say? Nothing. I killed him. 840 P.M. Warren Stone was booked in at Georgia Street jail on suspicion of 187 PC murder. Ed and I got in the car and drove out to the home of the murder victim to notify his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Robert Lawson. Mr. Lawson wasn't home from work yet. We broke the news of her son's death to Mrs. Lawson as gently as we could. She became hysterical, and we called the family doctor who gave her sedatives. Later, when she recovered herself a bit, she asked for the full story. We told her.
7: How could it happen? Bobby, how could it happen?
1: Sorry, ma'am, there's not much we can say. We tried everything we could to stop it.
7: But you didn't stop it. You let them kill Bobby. You let them kill him.
1: No, ma'am. We tried to warn him. We tried to warn all of them. We're sorry.
7: You're not sorry. You didn't try. Bob's dead. Everything I had. He's 17 years old and he's dead. I can thank you for that my only baby
1: we're sorry you feel that way mrs lawson
7: why shouldn't i feel that way you call yourselves policeman that boy who killed bobby you should have had him in jail in the first place young killer running around loose you're as guilty as he is
1: i'm not defending a man but he wasn't a young killer didn't even have a juvenile record
7: i don't care anything about records he's a killer he took a knife and he killed bob and you let him do it you let him
1: I think we better be going in. Yeah. You or your husband will have to identify the bodyman. Tomorrow morning will be all right, the county morgue. Dear God. You'll have to be at the coroner's inquest, too. You'll be notified about the time and the date.
7: I hope you have to live with this. I hope you live with it like I have to live with it. I hope it drives you crazy.
1: I know how you feel, ma'am, but you're wrong. I think you you'll realize be... that.
7: They murdered Bob. You let them kill him. I'll always remember that.
1: All right. And you remember something else. The last time we came here to your house, we tried to make you understand.
7: You didn't know Bobby. You didn't understand him. I was the only one. I always knew what he was thinking, what he wanted, what he was going to do. I was the only one.
1: No, ma'am. There was somebody else. What? The boy who killed him.
2: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 7th, the hearing was held in Juvenile Court, Department 38, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California.
1: In a moment, the results of that hearing. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, just as a hobby, I've been collecting early jazz records, blues and two-beat music like Leon Vicks Beiderbeck used to play, and, of course, just about everything Benny Goodman has done. I've always tried to build my collection on quality, Now, in my opinion, that's the only rule to follow in choosing a king-size cigarette. Choose for quality. Believe me, I know that's what you'll find in Fatima. I know because I smoke them. If you haven't, here's what I'd like you to do. Get a pack tomorrow and compare them. When you see the difference, taste the difference, and then smoke that difference, I'm convinced that you'll switch to Fatima. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Each king-size Fatima gives you a long, extra mild and soothing smoke with the added protection of Fatima quality. Next time, buy Fatima. Best of all, king-size
5: cigarettes.
2: 17-year-old Warren Ernest Stone was filed on alleging violation of 187 PC murder. The rest of the juvenile gang ringleaders were filed on alleging 242 PC battery. They were all made wards of the juvenile court and placed in detention homes under the supervision of the state youth authority. They are still confined in state institutions for juveniles. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Heard tonight were Barney Phillips, Charles Smith, and Eddie Firestone. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal me speaking. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all king size cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles.
1: Next, it's David Harding and Counter Spy on NBC.
0: Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Days, your home for golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.